0: Welcome in to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Got a good show in store for you today, folks. We're bringing back a favorite of the show. Author Alan Warren is with us today. And we're going to talk a little bit about San Francisco in the 70s. It is not what you think. You know, in the 60s, San Francisco was seen as a bastion of peace, love, and a little bit of well, let's just say a demonstration against the war. That's at least what we thought it was. We thought it was a bastion of all things liberal. Uh, Turns out it was dangerous. It was dangerous for a lot of people in the 70s. And we're going to talk about that today and talk about a book that uh, Alan has out there called Doodler Murders, Unsolved Murders in San Francisco. Uh, Alan Warren, in case you didn't know, is a best-selling author, the producer and lead host of the popular NBC radio show House of Mystery and Inside Writing, both heard on the 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside, 1050 AM Palm Springs, 540 AM KYAH Salt Lake City, 1150 AM KKNW Seattle, Tacoma, and Phoenix. I feel like I should be talking like this. And, you know, getting my radio voice back. Uh, His best-selling true crime books in Canada include Beyond Suspicion, The True Story of Colonel Russell Williams, which will be featured on CNN's Lies, Crimes, and Videos Season 4 and Murder Time 6, the true story of the Wells Gray Park Murders. In America, his bestsellers include The Killing Game, serial killer Rodney Alcala, which was featured on several television shows such as Very Scary People with Donnie Wahlberg, Oxygen's Mark of a Killer, Reel's Killer Trophies, and soon to be included in a four-part Sundance Channel documentary called Death's Date. His bestseller, Doomsday Cults, The Devil's Hostages, was featured on Vice's Dark Side of the 90s, which is a very good series if you haven't seen it yet. His latest series, Killer Queens, is a, sex, a six part book series covering murders that affect the gay community. So far, it includes book one, Leopold and Loeb, book two, Butcher of Hanover, Fritz Harmon, book three, Grinder Serial Killers, Stephen Port, and book four, bruce MacArthur, toronto gay killer let's welcome to true crime tuesday alan warren alan how
1: you doing well i'm good i'm tired after that i didn't realize i did so much <laughs>
0: you are busy you are a prolific author my friend not only that but a darn good radio host on top
1: of it so throw well, it not as there. good as you i mean you oh. said sound- Please. You sound like great. You've got that radio voice down. I've got a fourteen-year-old radio voice,
0: so you know there's there's that to you know there's that yeah. to compete with. So I've, uh, just, I've just got a podcast voice. No, 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 no. I, you, you've got you've got a, a deeper dulcet tone. I've got the I've got the tone of a fourteen-year-old that's just been whipped by his father. So. Um, oh wow! Well. Yeah. And uh, every once in a while, it breaks up like uh, like I'm going through puberty. So I uh, I've yet to accomplish that that deeper tone. I don't know whatever happened with me in life, but I don't know. Maybe I need more testosterone shots. I'm not quite sure.
1: Yeah, they're yeah. available. You know, from what I hear,
0: that's what I hear too. I I don't know if I have to go to uh, bodybuilders at uh, at Gold's Gym or where I need to go to get those, but. <laughs> oh your doctor will give them to you well that's what they say but yeah just tell them you got low (laughs) t that's what i'll do (laughs) i've got low t give me those testosterone shots i'm only in my 50s i you know i i need those so
1: Yeah. yeah yeah well we need them at 30. yeah
0: yeah that's true so true so true um so San Francisco in the 70s and in, in the early 70s was, we're coming off the Vietnam, or actually we're, we're in the Vietnam War, and and it's it's one of those things that uh, not only are there protests going on, but uh, you've also got uh, the rise of the Black Panther Party, you've got some other tumultuous things going on in San Francisco. But it's, it's looked at as a, a bastion of liberalism, and it should be a, kind of a free love type area in california shouldn't it
1: be well i think i think it has that perception but it's not necessarily true um i mean you're right in the fact that it's where it happens Mm -hmm. it's where the fight begins so to speak and it's where the the rallies will be and the protests and and all the action but um when you're when you're living there um day to day i don't think it's quite as as easy as as one would think it would be i think there's a lot of challenges uh you know you're just at the forefront of it uh and uh, this this particular case amongst others um was going on at the time and i think that kind of shows uh just just how dangerous it could be uh to be gay and to be in san francisco and it
0: wasn't as open as People assumed, and and we were talking before the show that that there were gay men coming down from Canada that thought that even though they were repressed in Canada, they thought that, well, finally we're coming down to California where we can live a little bit more open.
1: That wasn't the case at all, was it? No, no, no. I mean, sure, the fact that there were there were clubs, there were places you could go as a homosexual, as they would call it back then. And you could go to these places, but they were usually down an alley, down a set of stairs, hidden in a dark place somewhere out of the mainstream. Or, of course, in San Francisco, you did have the Castro district starting and there were places to go, but you still didn't want to be too public about it because, um, you know, you you could lose your job still. you know, they, they, it was made legal in, in the late 60s, 67, mm-hmm. but everyone in their time frame, and I think it's even mentioned in there about even the uh, police sergeant in San Francisco publicly on on the air said that he would never hire a homosexual because they're criminals. So your mindset in that city in that time was, you know, gays are criminals, Criminals,
0: and I believe, wasn't the quote something like morally bankrupt?
1: Yeah, yeah. That yeah. was, you know, if you get into it, he was, and and that was that was considered okay. In fact, people just believe that. But, you know, if you're gay, yeah, you know, it, we decided that we're not going to put you in jail, but you're still really, you know, you've got moral issues and you're a criminal. You're, you're you know, you're not a good person. You know what I mean? There was still Mm -hmm. that kind of frame of thought. And um, so (laughs) that didn't help with someone, you know, like a killer like this, this doodler killer when he's out there starting to pursue gay men and kill them. The police were not really that interested in doing anything about it. Yeah, there's an example in
0: here. It, It says in 1970, a gay postal worker was fired for moral incompetency. So he sued them. And in November of that year, he won and was given his job back. Uh, His win would inspire others to follow his lead and do the same at any chance they could when someone was wronged. Which, when you think of that, I mean, you think of that in today's terms in 2023, that, that somebody would be fired for moral incompetency, just for the way they live their life is yeah. <laughs> is is so mind blowing. It it uh, it's uh, I, I can't imagine it that that someone would yeah. delve into somebody's life and just say, well, just for the way you're living your life, we're 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 going to take your job away.
1: Uh, yeah, I don't think people realized how how they were so into people's lives. Like, you know, this is the time too, right? Even the, you know, the sixties and stuff and seventies, you know, uh, you would never get pregnant and not be married. Yeah. You would never, you know, you would never move in with your boyfriend. Like a girl would never, like that was so inappropriate. Right. Um, do you know what I mean? Like there were so many rules that were in place and, it was just. It was a totally different world, and and so, yeah, you had to watch what you said, what you did, how you dressed, where you went. It was it was because uh, you, you would you would lose it all. You could lose your. You could not. They could not rent to you if they didn't like what kind of person you were. You could lose your job. You could all sorts of problems.
0: Yeah, very much so, Alan. I want to. I want to stress something with this book that I think a a lot of people overlook. You know, uh, I don't tend to. uh, I'm trying to think of how I want to put this. Oh, I I know it's 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 getting a little deep and a little (laughs) controversial here, isn't it? Um, When we talk when we talk about the doodler murders, we talk about brutality, brutality from one human to another and and we talk about marginalized groups um y- you know y- people who let's just put it the way it is people who oppress marginalized groups people who say well and forgive me for saying this but you have people who oppress marginalized groups who will use the excuse well you know they were they were practicing a certain behavior well they had it to come into you know, the, the, that's the excuse you'll hear people who oppress marginalized groups use. And right. it's, a, it's a terrible, terrible way to throw things out there. The one thing that I, I find when I read this book is it's hard for someone to throw that excuse out there when you see, because the way you set up this book is you have the victims, each one of the victims of the Doodler murders. Uh, listed here, and you give their stories, each individual story, when you see the face of each victim, and you hear their story, and you put a face, a human face, and their circumstances and their story, and then the way that they were extinguished, for lack of a better term, and the brutality behind it it's hard, it's very hard not to relate to them. It's very hard not to feel for them. And it's very hard to dismiss them. Why do you feel when you, why do you feel it is that people still can dismiss a marginalized group when when brutality is brought upon, upon them? how is it that people can separate human feelings for another human when, when brutality is brought upon them?
1: Well, if I knew that answer, I'd be rich. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. It, you know, it's gone on for years and it continues to go on. It's just done differently in different times. You know, um, I, I guess if you have, a life that you you're living and things are going pretty well and you see or hear about someone that's having a struggle, it's easy to uh, dismiss them or put them down because of things like, oh, well, they're gay or they're whatever. Um, I guess it's easy for some people to do that. I I wish I knew why. Um, Just a lack of compassion, I guess, Um, or not having to be in that situation yourself where you're not faced with some sort of um, issue that um, or an issue as your community or, or country would see it as they, you know, you're not put into that um, position where you're kind of in that underdog sort of look, you know, people aren't looking down on you. Um, I, I guess that's it. If you, you know, you would never know if you weren't in that position what it would be like I think that's the hard thing right yeah I mean in the end that's
0: somebody's uncle that's somebody's brother that's somebody's cousin that's someone's family member it's 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 someone's friend it's it's somebody that uh, somebody out there relates to somebody loves somebody cares about somebody's foundation um and I think that it's so easy for someone to disconnect and not care and it's real hard for someone to connect at times and say you know what i really should care i i, I really should do more
1: yeah but that's not really i mean you, cause you look at even at today's world and you'll have you know you have pride month and then you have people that are anti-pride they're tired you know what about strike strike pride you know and stuff like that or you know there's there's always this humans have a lot of emotions and 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 feelings and so um there's there's that feeling of being left out or not feeling as important as and so you take a group and and you have pride month and you try to uplift a group that has more struggles and has had a tougher time of it and you're going to have people that feel well what about me you know in their mind and and I don't know I wished I wished I I had an answer to all that and we'd solve all the problems wouldn't we
0: I guess so but isn't it okay so let me ask you this question now rather than rather than issue, i'm sorry mixing up my words here. rather than wishing ill will towards someone for something as simple as a pride flag or a pride display in a store or using negative action or words or going out of your way to do negative things is it just as destructive to just somebody to just leave stuff alone and not want to hear about it and just wish somebody well and go your own way. I mean, is it, is it really asking that much just to say, well, that's fine. Have your celebration. I
1: don't care. I'll just be over here. Is that, is that so much to ask? No, it isn't. But the problem is we, we're not on all that same standing. We all don't have this equal, you know, um, upbringing of, Where we're, you know, we're not. That that sounds like more of a, a person that would be a little bit more secure in their own position as a human. You know what I mean? They're not, uh, you know, someone else doing well doesn't make them feel bad about themselves. And we have way too many people that'll feel bad about themselves when someone else is celebrated. And that that goes on not just with with gay, but with all all sorts of reasons, all sorts of communities. And it's just that's just a human, I don't know, frailty. It's sort of an issue that humans have in general because not everyone has a good life, I guess, or they don't necessarily feel good about themselves. You know, usually when someone lashes out at someone else, it's really more about how bad they feel about themselves. They're not not necessarily doing up because they hate someone for who they are. It's more about their own issue i think so you know there's that to deal with as well yeah i
0: i i guess i I don't i myself i i I don't ever feel that way towards anybody i i don't get the uh, towards anybody i don't care who they are i i i don't get where the rage comes
1: from well yeah but you know maybe you're more secure in who you are than as a person it, do, it doesn't matter if Joe down the road is, is gay and uh, they have a pride week or festival that doesn't make any difference oh. to you because you are who you are. And you're fine. Yeah. You know, and but but not everyone is that way. Right. So right. Right. and and there's also people that don't like differences. And then there's, of course, that. Religious aspect to some that will say that you're doing something wrong and so they they think you should stop you know you're you're making the world a bad place so there's that too right so there's all sorts of feelings and emotions and beliefs going on in the human the human race to to make everyone happy so it's just you and i have to live together and that's it yeah yeah i you know I, (laughs) i i
0: once asked a friend of mine who was he was going on about it wasn't this issue in particular but it was a it was another issue he was up to, actually if i told you what the issue was it would not only give away my friend but it would tell you exactly how childish it was had to do with something on television he didn't like something that was going on on television of all things and it was about about a, the way the way something was written on television and it was a plot for a television series and i said does that really affect how your life is is going i mean if you didn't watch this tv show at all would that really would that really affect your life i mean think about this for a second you know i mean does this really affect how you breathe how you eat um you know i mean is this going to really ruin your day you're going to let this ruin your life i mean life goes on you know i mean it's it's a tv show you know you're gonna wake up tomorrow. You're gonna to breathe. You're gonna eat. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna shower. You're gonna to go to work. Things are gonna be all right. It was just one decision made by a television show, and life goes on.
1: No, for me, I'm, I'll be crying in the shower for ten hours. I won't get out of bed. <laughs> it's it's the end of the world if they cancel my favorite show or kill off a character. That's how I live.
0: But you know, but it, it's <laughs> there, there's more important
1: things.
0: You know no. and, and to to me you know to me it's it just it it seems like you know priorities are in order and, well and, they are yeah, yeah. And, and and there's there's there, it just seems like at times we lose sight of priorities because as you put it I think you put it very eloquently, um, we lose sight. At times of of you know and and it's a security thing it's it's an internal security thing and and that makes us lose sight of our priorities yeah
1: yeah you know uh, we all deal with things differently so and 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 you see that a lot of times in cases with minority groups you would say or different you know smaller groups of you know, whether it's a race or whether it's sexuality or whatever it is, uh, there's, there's always sort of been that and it will always take the brunt of what's going on at the times. You know, it, it takes second, second door to it, to, to the major things going on. So that kind of, it's kind of gone on in for as long as recorded history. This is just another one of many a uh, series of killings or things that have gone on that kind of didn't really get the, um, you know, and it still goes on today. Mm-hmm. You know, you can say, well, and throughout this whole case, the police did not do a really very good job or a very caring job throughout the whole scenario and never did catch the killer. And it was really based on who, who was being killed. Um, and I'm sure that this sort of thing still goes on today.
0: Very much so. Tell you what, we'll take a break here, Alan. When we come back, we'll tell you more about the the doodler killer, how he got that name. We'll also talk to you about uh, a little bit of the internal strife that was going on in San Francisco with the police department about a little bit of a race war that went on within San Francisco, who was in that race war and why it happened. And, and even the strife within the police department, Um, the race war that went on within San Francisco and some highway killers that were basically operating within San Francisco. Uh, That's all coming up after the break. Again, the name of the book is the doodler murderer doodler murders. It's hard to say, by the way, Alan doodler murders, (laughs) unsolved murders in San Francisco. Uh, We have a link to the book. Uh, in this description of the show, Doodler Murders, Killer Crime Series, Volume 8, Unsolved Murders in San Francisco. Alan Warren is our guest and the author of that book. Again, the link in the description of the show. And we come back more with Alan Warren on the best in true crime podcasting, this is True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is author Alan Warren. The book is the Doodler Murders Killer Crime Series Volume 8, Unsolved Murders in San Francisco. Before the break, we were talking about the actual, I'm gonna try not to screw this up. Doodler Murderer. See, I got the words <laughs> out. It's it's a tongue twister, Alan. Doodler yeah, say that murderer. ten times. That's right. Doodler murderer, doodler murderer, doodler, murderer. It's hard to say, but the more you say it, it's the easier it gets. Um <laughs> Tell me, Alan, how did this how did this killer get his op, operandus, operandis how, how would you say it? operandus?
1: What is his name? <laughs> yeah, his name. How how did he get his uh, his handle? Well, because the the general uh, name came because he would uh, sit in a bar or wherever it was that he was observing one of his upcoming victims or someone that he was, you know, interested in killing for whatever reason, uh, because we don't really know. But he would sit there and watch them and he would draw a picture of them. He would doodle out the picture just with a, a pen or pencil or whatever he had. And it could be on a napkin or it could be on a piece of paper or a menu um placemat in the in the restaurant or bar or whatever it was he would draw their picture and hand draw it and uh a lot of times he would even give it to them hmm. and uh, that would be his way of introducing himself to them is by showing them uh what i what i look what i drew and it's a pretty good picture a pretty good likeness and that would be his way of getting into talking to the to his victim and that could lead you know Uh, even further there's a few people that that didn't get killed and that's or they got away and this is how we kind of know his what he was doing his style his kind of uh, mo as as you were saying um yeah that's how he got the name interesting
0: and and not only that but as you mentioned he got away from a few and and so there was a bit of a description that was given about him now, and in, in there was a bit. I know this uh, again for those of you in the audience who are a bit sensitive. There was, there was this description that was given to him, and he's an African American gentleman, correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. So there was another nickname that was given for him at at the time that wasn't necessarily culturally sensitive. He was known as the
1: oh, the Black Doodler. Yes. Okay. Was was the initial name that the. Uh, You know, the papers in the city were sort of using for him because he was a, like you said, African American man and he was, he was a doodler or drawer. And that was just sort of a tomb term, a term that they used back then. So he was known as initially the black doodler. And it kind of changed to just the doodler of San Francisco a little bit further down the road um it, it, i think that was mainly because of the zebra murders that the attention kind of went away from calling them the black doodler but i can't say for sure now
0: you mentioned the zebra murders the zebra murders are an interesting span of murders that go over many years and involve a few different killers Um, And the zebra murders are very interesting in that it involves the Nation of Islam, correct?
1: Yeah, a variation of it, I I will say, because it wasn't, yeah, it was a variation, I would say, uh, of it. Because they had different ideas, and and they actually had their death angel meetings, and their, their intention was to go out and to kill white men. And they ended up doing a lot of killing of white men and women. And um, so it kind of was it, it definitely a splinter off. It wasn't it wasn't a typical Muslim group.
0: Now, they had kind of a it was a disturbing type of point system, right? Where they would you get so many points for a man, so many points for a woman, so many points for a child.
1: Correct. Right. Right and that's how you moved up that's how you moved up in the group itself or became a more important member i guess you would say you'd become um just just higher up in the group you know so you you want it to make um points and uh to achieve certain yeah it was like a video game almost it sounds pretty, pretty awful. But their idea was the white devils. And there was variations of white devils from a man to a child, of course, and, and a woman, and they're all valued at different things. And you wanted to get what they would call wings. And that would be for achieving a certain amount of death points, you might say. And um, so you might, for instance, you know, a death angel, you'd want to kill four white children or five white women, nine white men. Like you had, it was kind of a weird system. It kind of I go over it in the book yeah and that would be how you move up and move up. And that was so this was causing a huge disturbance in the city, of course, in the 70s, more so than than um, what the doodler was doing. It kind of took the attention from the police.
0: I'm curious as to whether you know in in the Nation of Islam the you had the honorable Elijah Muhammad who was the the head of the Nation of Islam who's based right. in in the in the city of Chicago. And I'm wondering if he was aware of exactly what was going on with the splinter group out west and if it was sanctioned at all if he knew about it if he knew about it or kind of swept it under the rug Are you aware of anything like that
1: well you know he 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 would often speak to the group um i think this is kind of one of the things um with him because i think i think a lot of people didn't understand him and they didn't know and because he he would still be open to groups like this within his 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 religion that Of course, people believed, yeah, you knew and you're behind it. And you're you know, they they ascribed a lot of different things towards him. I don't think we really know. I don't know how we could know unless we had witnesses come forward. And that never really happened. Mm -hmm. There's opinions. There's certainly a lot of opinions. And um, he certainly didn't stop the group. We can say that. Right. Because there was a split point. Obviously, between
0: him and Malcolm X, and right. th- there were a lot of different issues that they disagreed on. Um, by all means, Malcolm X was not nonviolent. He did believe in violence and and he believed in violence uh, when violence is perpetrated against you. But I've got to think that there was there was some some things in there that forced him to split from Elijah Muhammad.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean well, for him, there it started with anger, you know and mm-hmm. and you can certainly see that. and I think as time went by, he sort of started changing his attitudes. Mm-hmm. Um, Malcolm sort of started coming around to the idea that more like uh, King did, whereas we can't resolve this by 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 murder and violence right. We can only resolve this from coming together. So his his beliefs sort of changed. And that's sort of, I think, the big difference in why there was a split between them. Be, be, because that was not going to be the way, you know, a black, black Muslim group was going to operate. The black Muslim group really believed in, uh, you know, the white devil that, that, that they're off. You know, they really believed that, that you yeah. are a white devil you're you're just awful you must be killed you're 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 in a bad you're a bad creature you need to be killed type thing they have a lot of variations and i think x was kind of going on the idea of no this is this is the wrong way about it killing just begets more killing and we just it's not really solving the issue and we can't kill each other off and so i think i think he started growing as a person and understanding that there's got to be a better way out of this. And so there, hence the, the separation there.
0: Yeah. And, and I wonder again, only speculation there there's, there's nothing concrete to this, but I wonder if Malcolm X ever found out about any connection between Elijah Muhammad and this group out in San Francisco and thought maybe you know this is a little too convenient, a little too close, and maybe this is just the start of something with Elijah Muhammad, and maybe he wants to grow similar groups throughout the nation, and and maybe this is the beginning of a race war, and he decides at this point I'm I'm splitting off, and at this point you have to remember too that Malcolm decides he's going to uh, he's going to Mecca, and he's going to try to pursue more. Um, more of a traditional uh form of of, uh islam and in in, in the muslim religion
1: um yeah so i think it it makes more sense i think if you grow spiritually as a person you start to get more into uh, trying to understand your enemy, so to speak, or the the, the differences and the the places we come from, and try to make it so that our children have a better place to go to, and I think that's kind of the whole idea. And either you take on that and you grow into that idea, or you you go the other way, and it's about violence and forcing your way and uh, killing and stuff. And, and and I really can't say. You know none of us can yeah that what was known by who or if anything was directed but at this point um but you can there is one thing we can say is that he certainly didn't interfere with what they were doing like he, he wasn't trying to stop it true very true so yep. and i think as a, as a, a leader or a person that represents a certain group it's the onus is almost on you to at least speak out against it otherwise in a way you condone it by not speaking out and i think that's something we've seen even in recent times with other leaders and people that it's almost like saying well you know it's it's you know not saying anything or just kind of ignoring it or saying well it's okay Or, you know, there's good people (laughs) The old saying And it's like, well, no You know, you have to call out someone if you don't agree with them Especially if you are in charge Yeah, yeah,
0: very true Uh, There was also uh, Some panic among the residents of Southern California There's a group out there known as the freeway killers Or the trash bag killers One of those, and these guys are just Violent I mean, uh, as if the other two weren't um, Patrick Wayne Kearney being one of them, but these guys, it, it, the 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 amount of violence of these these freeway killers or these trash bag killers is just a whole nother level. Alan,
1: explain what these guys are doing. Yeah, you know Patrick Wayne Kearney and and some of the, but you know when you <laughs> you had these killers like and, and they could you could do a book. On each one of these guys, on on their own, mm-hmm. like there's so much to it, and um, they, they were actually going out and uh, picking up their victims. Usually, a uh, you know a gay man or or a hitchhiker might not have been gay, but a man, and uh, you know shoot, kill them, sexually assault them, and quite often, like with Kearney, assaulting sexually assaulting their dead body and then and then sometimes dismembering them with a hacksaw putting them into heavy duty trash bags and leave them on the highway on the side of the highway or in a landfill or a canyon or off-road somewhere like it, this is this is like um incredible that like mm-hmm. this was going on and a lot and and he wasn't the only one, like you mentioned. Um, and there's tons of victims that are even unknown. Like I could just list them, mm-hmm. and and I can't. I can't even think what well, there was. Twenty five of Kearney, and then William Bonin. Uh, I think he had twenty one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just amazing what how many. If you think about how many people were being killed, and then then I think what eight with the Doodler murders. There was a lot of gay men being murdered. Yeah, in this time, yeah. There's the uh, William Bonin.
0: There's there's um, there's one in particular that that absolutely, I I, I just I, I shudder when I think about it. There's actually a couple here. I want to I want to read them to our audience real quick. Ronald Craig Gatlin disappears on March 14th, 1980. Found on March 15th, 1980, in Los Angeles County, sodomized with an ice pick and fatally strangled. When you think about ways to die that you'd never ever ever want to choose sodomized with an ice pick has got to be right up there
1: yeah exactly i mean this was this was um in a way torture you know yes Yeah, I I, you know look at that you know even the other uh, what that uh, Glenn Barker and yes that was the next one lit cigarette and uh, it's just crazy insane.
0: Yep, that was the next one. Glenn Norman Barker disappeared on March twenty first, nineteen eighty. Found on March twenty third, nineteen eighty, in Los Angeles County. He was raped, beaten, assaulted with an ice pick, burned with a lit cigarette, as Alan just said, and fatally strangled.
1: Yeah. And I also, I I want to bring up the point that with Bonin, these people were like that, that Barker was only 14 years old. Yeah. We're not talking, this is a 14-year-old. Yeah. A lot of his victims were 12, 14, 15, 16. I, I can't tell you how many. I, I think I've listed again with him tw- the 21 victims. I, I think they are all pretty much nineteen and under. If you had anybody older than that i I can't remember one, yeah, Ronald Gatlin, who we mentioned before, was eighteen. It's just just awful they're they were so young I mean you, you couldn't even call that's why you couldn't even really call them gay in the fact of thirteen year olds were not going to gay bars and, right you know what I mean, and right. living a lot they were going to school. Grade seven, grade eight, and they were. This is not. So, so he was extremely, extremely awful. Um, probably the worst uh, of the uh, known, I guess, freeway killers. We'll call them um, because I know that uh, the the other major one there, uh, Kearney. He he was also. He had a lot of older victims that were nineteen and in their twenties you know 21 23 and stuff that were picked up at a bar or picked up somewhere in a you know yeah um you know 27 year old 28 year old he was not that it was good but i'm just saying that they weren't just 12 13 year old children
0: right it looks like uh i think what Bonin's oldest was was 19 would that be Darren Lee Kendrick i think is probably the yeah. oldest one uh yeah. And that one was horrific. He was forced to drink hydrochloric acid and fatally stabbed in the ear with an ice pick by his accomplice Vernon Butts, after being chemically poisoned by Bonin. yeah, just horrible
1: yeah these these are true that's what i mean these 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 freeway murders these these highway murders there were just horrendous and probably the most awful. That they had seen in that city, even to date, this is probably the, they were probably the worst, and yet, uh, not a lot of attention got away with tons of murders, all at the same time as the doodler, all at the same time as the zebra. Um, it was, it if you, if you really, if you just take that those series of murders and put them together in the seventies, think about what was going on in that city, and and all at that
0: same time, Alan. As you've got these things happening in the city, the the San Francisco Police Department has internal strife as well. Because you have, for all intents and purposes, you have the nation of Islam running around and they're shooting they're shooting whites. And inside the San Francisco Police Department, you've got an internal race struggle, don't you?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that caused a lot of problems. There there already was. And, and let's you know, you have to be brutally honest here, you know, the sixties was still really a tense time with the races and, and having black officers was a, um, challenge to society at that time. And even as, as, as the white officers. So there was a division and it was a very big minority and it was a tough thing to overcome. And then you throw in the zebra murders. Where whites were just being killed randomly just for being white. And so then all of a sudden there was a division between the black and white police. And that made it even worse. So it became really intense and nobody wanted to work with black cops and, and it, it, white. It was just, it just made it. So, so there you go. You've got that thrown on top of it. Then, then, like I said, when we bring into the doodler as well, then you kind of got, well, nobody wanted to do the case. They didn't have anybody really in charge, or it seemed like every month someone else took charge of the case and did nothing because, well, they were queers. You know what I mean? They Mm -hmm. were, they were at the bottom of the barrel. We had, they had to solve other things going on in the city. And not to mention they had to, you know, settle their own problems with their own like little, race battle going in within the police force and like it and again when you look at the people in charge of the police force in san francisco kind of going well gays are morally bankrupt and criminals it's not really a priority for you to try and figure out what's going on and what, who who's offering them it was more of an attitude of we'll get to it when we can yeah yeah you know
0: And then on the very fringe of all this, on the very fringe, you've got the Symbionese Liberation Organization. Right. And you have the Black Panther Party. Right. Which are are concerns, and they're, they're there, but mind you, they're not the focus.
1: But they're there. Right. Well, you know, the, with the with the Black Panther Party, it it, it was more of a political problem than you see. So that in itself had issues because then, you know, your chief of police and then with your all of your um, political parties were, were looking at this mm-hmm. and uh, and were concerned about it. Um, they felt threatened by it and they were scared to act. For, you know, they were scared of a response. And so it was it was a different type of of threat but it still affected the policing it still affected the city and then the uh liberation army you know and then patty hearst you know uh, the hearst newspapers and the cop and that was a big conservative family and so so there was the so so on every level you had these battles going on and um i think i think it was probably a really intense time to be living in san francisco Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a fascinating book
0: in that, uh, Alan, it's a combination of a, a tough time, a, a, a time of strife in, in San Francisco, and not what everybody would think. I mean, when you think of San Francisco, you think Haight Ashbury, you think free love, you think, you know, kind of a freewheeling time in, in San Francisco. It was, it was hardly that
1: oh it was was incredible and then you had the drugs thrown in on top of it because when you mentioned hate ashbury and and that whole that whole um timing and san francisco a lot of people a lot of young people were you know not real thrilled with society and they were going to san francisco looking for a place to be and they were young and you could do drugs and hang out and it looked like a great place and and in that essence it was but there was a lot of uh drug addiction going on as well and they started opening up the drug rehab places and and then you know so there was that issue too so it was, it was a really really tough time mm-hmm. uh And I think I think it's I find it very interesting. I think it's an interesting period of time and it kind of shows us when we look at today's issues and things in our headlines today, a lot of people forget how, how intense it would have been back then. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they think, Oh, this has got to be the worst I've ever seen it. The division, the divisiveness and all the hero, the struggles. And yeah, they're there. There's challenges. There's a lot of the same problems we've got going on now, but it, it wasn't roses back then. It was, this was not a good time. Um, in a way, it's better now because we're, we're a lot more open to talk about it and there's a lot more, uh, on the table, we know a lot more about each other in our differences than we did back then. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, more more realistically, so I think we have a better opportunity now. But it's still, it would. I I couldn't imagine living in San Francisco at those times, other than it would have been a real pretty city to live in.
0: Yeah, very true. With the intense media scrutiny you have now, I think the microscope living under that microscope at that time would have been. Intense. I, I, I think there would have been so much more attention put on each individual murder and on, on each individual action. So I, I think a lot of what happened wouldn't have been swept under the rug. I can't see that the, the doodler murderer would have continued on as long as it did. I, I think right. that the police would yeah. have been forced into action a lot sooner.
1: Um, well, I think it would have been a better you know, today would have been a better situation and there would have been police on the side of of the you know, the of of the victims, you know, it would have been more. I think they would have had a better attitude toward. Yes. What was going on? You see, back then the attitude, like I said, and there's a there's a really fine line. And you really have to think about this when when it's 1967 and you've been a cop for 20 years and your whole life, you've been doing nothing but arresting homosexuals because they're deviants. They're, they're criminals. They're bad people. They're morally bankrupt. Like you have all these slight, and you've been told that your whole life. You've been arresting them your whole life, raids on gay places. And that's all it's been around. And then 1967, your, your Senate Congress decides, well, it's now legal. You can't arrest gays anymore. They're allowed to be. It, you don't change your heart in that instant just because the Senate passed that law. You know, right. yeah, it takes time. Yeah, I'm not saying that's right, but it just it just takes time for people to come around, and quite often right. it's generational. Yeah. So this is something that that just, so just because it became legal in '67, nobody was jumping on these cases because to them it was still well, you know, you're, you're they're bad people you know yeah. and top it off then they've got these race issues and the all these other killings going on and stresses and political problems you know patty hearst coming from a rich conservative family in a newspaper is going to be way more priority than um you know someone that performs in drag in some seedy bar in a bad part of town do you know what i mean true even though one of those persons that performed
0: in that bar was was one of the most popular people in town right yeah I mean it uh, was a high yeah. profile person
1: yeah, yeah. I know yeah. it's just it just it was just the situation right. I think that's kind of the whole point of the book to be honest to me was just pointing out the scenario kind of trying to describe the feeling of what it was like to be in San Francisco and then all of these things going on and yet still the victims turning up over and over and over again and kind of what the responses were or what they lacked you know yeah yeah
0: well I tell you Alan it's a it's a
1: fascinating
0: book and, and I encourage people to uh, to go get it even to to put yourself right there in in the middle of San Francisco in that time period and and relive uh, some of that turmoil that was there in San Francisco. Uh, especially if you're a, a true crime fanatic. It's, uh, again, The Doodler Murders, Killer Crime Series, Volume 8, Unsolved Murders in San Francisco. Alan Warren is our guest and the author of that book. We have a link in the description of this program. Alan, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you. All right, folks, it's time for us to lighten it up a bit. Uh, we're going to bring in our special guest, Mally Fox, and it's time now for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. It's it's Crayon News storytelling.
1: What happened with this dude, Christ bearer?
2: I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony.
1: Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What
3: is your emergency? I need help. And what's the problem? So am too
0: high. You're too high. Yeah. it's that time that time you've all been looking forward to it's time now for dumb crimes and stupid criminals and for that we need a co-host or is it a co-hostess that's right <laughs> uh the beer city bruiser is out getting a new hip and so we replace him and his hip with the co-hostess with the mostest we have mallie fox hi mallie Hello. Hello. How are you doing, my darling? I am great. How are you? Good, good. Let's catch up with you uh, quickly before we jump into dumb crime, stupid criminals. How's life there in uh, the the mid state? Uh, th- in other exactly. Words,
3: you know it. You're holding up your hand. That's
0: right. I'm holding up my hand. So exactly. You, you got to do five fingers and then the thumb, <laughs> and then you point right I'm there. I'm by the thumb. Yeah. You're by the thumb, right?
3: Well, yeah, yeah. But
0: a little lower and over. A little lower and over. So it'd be yeah, right there. Yeah, because Canada's
3: the- like three blocks from my house. Because really? I'm three blocks from Detroit River.
0: You know, you and Bruiser have something in common. What's did, that? Did you know that? You're, you're, both, not, uh-huh. you're both not partial to Canada. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Listen, I didn't like Canada because of a certain <laughs> female that came from Canada. I'm over it. I've matured. And it just took, what, 15 years? Yeah, but I'm good. <laughs> yeah.
0: and, and Bruiser doesn't like Canadian beer or Timmy Hortons.
3: <laughs> hey,
0: don't knock Timmy Hortons. I know, right? That
3: stuff's good.
0: I know. Oh, I love their stuff.
3: Mm-hmm. Little Tim bits.
0: Yep, Tim bits and and oh coffee is so good. And mm-hmm. I, I, I'm trying to change his mind, but he's he's just over it.
3: Yeah. No, I like it better than Starbucks. Starbucks tastes like it's burnt. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. I know.
3: Starbucks. But I needs- do love my caribou though.
0: Yes, caribou's very good. Well,
3: yeah. we don't really have it here except for the airport. Really? Yeah. Supposedly like, they're gonna be opening up some stores.
0: They should, yeah. They can make, I know. They could make a killing. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have, a, you don't have Dunn Brothers here, do you?
3: No. Mm. Dunn Brothers is good, too.
0: Yeah, they're very good as well. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> if,
3: we if, just have the little, like, boutique coffee shops.
0: Ah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. But I would think they would do pretty well as well. Yeah, they do. Yeah,
3: I like to support the local people.
0: Yes. Yes, indeed. Support the local people. That's for sure. No matter what state you're in, support the local people. That's, exactly. That's for sure. Uh, boy, oh boy, do we have a show today, Mally. We have got uh, Florida all over the place today in double crime <laughs> When
3: Street. is it not all over the place?
0: Today especially, though. <laughs> today especially. Um we're gonna we're gonna tell you why pretty people are always the ones to uh, be the most dangerous. That's gonna happen Ooh. in today's show. That's right. Uh, janitors are annoyed and they're shutting off your freezers. We'll we'll talk about that. Uh, and of course, there's a not safe for work story that's going to end our program. <laughs> we'll tell you why pretty pink dildos at Target are a thing. Oh um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's that's a, <laughs> that's how we're gonna end today's show. <laughs> um, but first, I, I should I should say. It, is that all we have to update your life with, or do you have something exciting to tell us?
3: Um, nope, just enjoying the summer. Oh, good. So, good. yeah, I've been seeing family and
0: mm-hmm.
3: hanging out and just enjoying it.
0: Good. Good, good. That's yeah. good to hear. That's good to hear. Uh, let's start it out with being drunk and disorderly in Florida, because that seems to be the thing to do this summer. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. A <laughs> drunk and disorderly Florida man was busted while drinking, of course, Mally, Florida man beer.
3: Okay, what's Florida Man beer?
0: <laughs> oh, you've never had the Florida Man beer? No, I have not. I think I, I have, think I'm afraid. <laughs> I think I have one back here on my on my uh, on my here, right here. Florida Man beer. Oh, Melly <laughs> <Now laughs> didn't Double me.
3: IPA. <laughs> see Florida Man yeah. IPA.
0: Oh boy, yeah, it's, I have a bottle right here in front of me. Uh, Cigar City Brewing Florida Man Double IPA Crazy Hoppy is what it says.
3: I thought he had two black eyes when he showed me no, no, the no, bottle that, at first, and then his, I realized it was sunglasses. Yeah,
0: that's his sunglasses right there. <laughs> but yeah, it, he's he's actually holding up the Florida Man Double IPA like it's, his, uh, it's the slate for uh, when he's being arrested. Uh, I believe it's the same brewing company that he was drinking. It's a big bottle, though. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cigar City Brewing in Tampa, Florida. I believe it's the same company. But yeah, this okay. was this was sent to me by a listener. So that's cool. There you go. Florida Man Brewing. Told, told you I had one. <laughs> I also have the Florida Man comic book. Oh. Yeah. I'm all about it. You gotta be about it, Mally. Not just talk about it. You gotta be about gotcha. it. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Turns out that an inebriated Florida man was drinking a can of Florida man beer, not the bottle. The bottle is much better. When arrested Tuesday night for disorderly intoxication, according to police, 39-year-old Seth Thomas allegedly was yelling at traffic when walking in the roadway in front of traffic and refusing (laughs) to stop when he was collared by sheriff's deputies on a street in Seminole, which is a city in the Tampa Bay area. See, that's where you get your Florida man beer, Mally, is in Tampa. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, Thomas cops say was drinking from a can of Florida man at the time of the arrest. The beer produced by the Tampa-based Cigar City Brewing, right?
3: <laughs> yep.
0: Yep. Is a double India pale ale that is brewed with a nearly criminal amount of hops, and a moderate bitterness that just about matches Florida man's general disposition. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I hope that company's doing well. I hope so too. I would <laughs> I would hope so. The the bottle is more let's say festive than the actual can. I can show you gotcha. what the can looks like. The can is just kind of it, like nah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not very festive. Uh, Thomas was arrested for disorderly intoxication, which is a misdemeanor, and booked into the Pinellas County Jail. He was released from custody and posted a hundred dollars bond. That was it. That's it. A hundred dollars. That's it. Dang. Yeah. Thomas's rap sheet includes recent convictions for obstructing police, trespassing, uh, possession of open alcohol, and disorderly intoxication. Here, uh, Mally, I know it doesn't help our audience, but it'll help you. Here's what the can looks like. The can is much different than the bottom.
3: Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah. The the, the can, just to give uh, our audience a, an idea, is just kind of like a, a bluish. It almost looks like a Hawaiian floral pattern. Is yeah. That, yeah. It's like that,
3: the color of like a swimming pool.
0: Yeah. Kind of like the bottom of a swimming pool. <laughs> 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 That's uh and and it's it's not very festive. It doesn't remind me of Florida at all. Uh-huh. Yeah.
3: The, you the, should make koozies.
0: Right? Florida yeah. and koozies. That would mm-hmm. be yeah.
3: That make would sure be. they don't have that trademarked and just do the koozies.
0: Right. Yeah. I, I think there's potential money to be made there. Yep. I think you're onto something there, Mal. Let's continue with the alcohol theme, shall we? Yeah. We're gonna go to Toronto. Uh, where I know you and Bruiser have some mutual hate there. No, I'm kidding. I'm ki- I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> it turns out that it's not just regular people that can get in trouble with the law when it comes to alcohol. It turns out the police can too. Oh. Yeah. LCBO tracking device helped police locate stolen whiskey at a cop's home. <gasps> Yeah, it turns out that that delicious, delicious whiskey can tempt the police to steal it as well. Yeah. Shame on them. I know. Two Toronto police officers are accused of stealing whiskey or wixki, as I used to say it when I was little. Wixki. I don't know why I was little and saying wixki. Probably because my...
3: I don't know a lot of little kids that even say whiskey like that should be in their vocabulary i think my great- but then we're we're gen x so
0: yeah i think my- half
3: of us have those baby pictures with us drinking a budweiser out of a can i
0: think my great grandpa was probably knocking it back and i was probably pouring it for him i'm pretty sure right. is what was happening yeah
3: <laughs> it's a rite of passage yeah
0: yeah pour another one for great grandpa and i was over there you
3: want more whiskey grandpa
0: <laughs> yep um, so Did he uh, make you
3: go get his cigarettes too from the local store.
0: Oh, I just unroll them out of his sleeve. <laughs> yeah. I just take him, pound them on the table for him, and then I'd take one out for him and I'd light <laughs> it for him. I was a talented kid. Uh two Toronto police officers accused of stealing whiskey uh that they had recovered during an arrest were both charged after an LCBO tracking device led investigators to one of their homes. <laughs> newly released disciplinary documents suggest uh, the officers were charged criminally after they allegedly stole two bottles of alcohol that were seized following the arrest of a suspect on april 12th at the time police said that the stolen items were recovered from one of the officers homes in a vehicle belonging to the other officer but few other details were provided at the time police tribunal documents that were released earlier this week, however, shed more light on the case. The documents state that both officers had responded to a reported theft from an LCBO near Dundas in, I believe it's Yonge Street, when they took a male suspect who was wanted on several outstanding warrants into custody. At the time of the arrest, the suspect was allegedly in possession of two stolen bottles of Johnny Walker Black Label Whiskey, Mally. The old Johnny Walker Black got him.
3: If you're gonna steal something, I would. I would want something a little bit worth more than that, where I can pick it up at the local, you know, Kroger.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Although you know what, Johnny Walker Black is my old man's favorite. Oh, is it? Yeah. I I actually have sat and watched him drink it, uh, like like soda. Okay. He'll pour it over ice and he'll just down it. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's dangerous. Yeah.
3: <laughs> It's like now that you think about
0: it, <laughs> yeah, that's that's not healthy. Um, <laughs> sure. But yeah, he'll sit and play five hundred, and uh-huh. it, it's weird because it doesn't phase him. It, okay, he's got a very high tolerance, mm-hmm. so he'll sit and play five hundred, and he'll school you while you're playing cards, and he'll be drinking Johnny Walker Black like it's like it's soda pop, and never once will you think, "Gee, the old man's lit," and until wow. he goes to stand up and go to bed. <laughs>
2: Yeah,
3: and
0: then he's woo, <laughs> but the entire time he's smiling, playing cards, and 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 schooling you. You're losing every hand, right? It's amazing. I've never seen anything like it in my life. That's talent. That is talent. <laughs> uh, those bottles of Johnny Walker Black were never submitted to the fifty-one division property locker system, according to the documents. And why would they? <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, you paraded. The arrested male in relation to the holdup squad case and never disclosed that there was a seizure of alcohol during the arrest of the male. The allegations contained in the notice of hearing for Constable Brian James State. UNPC and PC Thomas Victor were later observed on CCTV leaving the station in uniform, each carrying a box of the Johnny Walker liquor. You walk through the station parking lot to the area of your personal cars. Unbeknownst to you, the box in your possession contained an LCBO tracking device. Oh, they were sneaky. hmm Yeah. The documents say that Ontario Provincial Police in Bracebridge were contacted by LCBO investigators on April 23rd who advised them that they had located the tracking device. At that time, the OPP, which doesn't stand for what you think it does. (laughs) You know me. (laughs) Identified that address as belonging to James on April 26th. Investigators executed a criminal code search warrant on your personal vehicle, this is a quote from them, and located one bottle of the stolen liquor, which is more than enough to lock you up. Upon arrival at 51 Division, you were observed to be discarding a piece of paper towel with an unknown object wrapped inside. I'm guessing that's the bottle of liquor. Uh, PRS investigators retrieved the item, which is believed to be the LCBO tracking device. Oh, they just tried to get rid of the tracking device, but not the liqueur. (laughs) So there you go. They were both... um, charged with possession of property obtained by crime under $5,000 and breach of trust and theft under $5,000. Naughty naughty, shame on you cops for wanting your Johnny Walker black. That's all we got to say about that. But there's more Canadian crime going on here, Mally. Okay. We go to, uh, we go actually to Wellington, New Zealand, where their delicious maple syrup is being used to hide meth you know that's different (laughs) normally when i have maple syrup and pancakes i want a nice nice nap but if you put meth in it i'm gonna want to run around the house 10 times (laughs) (laughs) that's all i'm thinking of (laughs) have you ever felt like running around the house after having pancakes and syrup
3: no i usually need a nap
0: yeah naps are in order a drug syndicate hid meth and Canadian maple syrup, canola oil that was bound for New Zealand. Crikey! <laughs> <laughs> A drug syndicate that tried to smuggle tons of methamphetamine from Canada to Australia and New Zealand by hiding it in shipments of maple syrup and canola oil has had its ruse busted, according to authorities authorities from the three nations say they worked together for more than 5 months to unravel the elaborate scheme that was worth billions of dollars authorities in New Zealand and Australia say they've made a dozen arrests and expect more to come well ca- uh, canadian authorities said they're still investigating the case and aren't yet providing all of the details uh, uh, australian police say they intercepted four separate hulls of meth get this mally weighing more than 6 tons Holy cow. It's a lot of meth.
3: Yeah, just a tiny bit.
0: That's a lot of pancakes. Just saying, if you had to pour all that syrup on something. Uh, and filed charges against six men. They said that in January, Canadian authorities alerted them that, wow, 2,900 liters or 766 gallons of liquid meth had been hidden in 180 bottles of canola oil bound for Australia. Uh, They said Canadian authorities swapped out the meth for harmless substance and allowed the shipment to continue. Australian police said that two men then moved what they believed were the drugs to storage locations around the city of Melbourne. Two more shipments came in May and in June, and the syndicate was also linked to December shipments, Australian police said. In New Zealand, police said the syndicate tried to hide more than three-quarters of a ton of meth in a shipment of maple syrup, the largest such shipment that has been intercepted in New Zealand's border. New Zealand police said that they have arrested and charged five men at a rural property near the town of Helensville, north of Auckland, New Zealand, which had taken the bulk of the shipment. A sixth person that police say took the remainder of the shipment was also facing charges. The international drug trade and organized crime groups are creating havoc and harm in communities around the globe. New Zealand Police Commissioner Andrew Koster is quoted as saying, Our best opportunity to disrupt, intercept, and keep our communities safe is to work collaboratively with other agencies and other nations.
3: So was it hidden amongst the bottles or was it in the bottle?
0: Uh, as far as the maple syrup, that's a good question. I got to think it was in the bottle.
3: Because how do you? I mean, I don't know how you do meth, but I mean, if if you inject meth, are you injecting the syrup, or is there a way to separate it, or
0: I got to think you that's probably that's sugar rush. <laughs> yeah, it is. I got to think with the <laughs> the meth, you probably got to put it in a container, or you got to put it in some sort of container, then put it in the in the syrup, and so then it doesn't put it dissolve. Inside. Okay, right. Okay. With the liquid. So you're not like
3: sprinkling it in.
0: (laughs) Right. No, 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 no. Because you'd lose the product. With the liquid meth, you're just putting it in a canola oil container. Okay. And instead of canola oil, it's strictly liquid meth.
3: Gotcha. I didn't know if they were like mixing it. And then I was trying to figure out how you separate it.
0: (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. Oh, God, no. (laughs) Oh, jeez. Can you imagine (laughs) trying to fry something up in canola oil and you're frying it in liquid meth and you'd have an explosion in the (laughs) house? (laughs) That would be a really, really bad end to everything.
3: Yeah, everyone's thinking you're cooking meth. They're like, no, I'm trying to fry some eggs.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I just want a really good fried egg. (laughs) Not a high. You're on the
3: news. You're like, I swear to God, (laughs) I'm not cooking meth.
0: We did have a house explosion in Coon Rapids here this past week. Oh really? But it had Ooh, nothing to do with meth. At first, I thought it's, oh. <laughs> it sounded like a meth explosion because, okay, the way the house exploded, it, it looked like it was just the roof of the house that went. And you know okay. how when when someone's cooking meth, it's like the the roof of the house just explodes out, and like the 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 front of the house will explode out. You know, okay, it's like uh-huh. a blowout of one side of the house where they're cooking it, and that's yeah. exactly what it looked like. But it turns out the way the story went with this house that blew up in Coon Rapids, Minnesota, is that the guy who was in the house at the time, first of all, this house was condemned, okay? Okay. And the reason it was condemned was because his parents that lived there both were deceased and the city had condemned the house and they had turned off all the services. He went and turned the gas back on. Oh. And then tried to cook something. Gotcha. And he got this rush of gas and boom. House explodes. Mm. Was he okay? No. No. In fact, he oh. was he was in if I remember right, he had burned up his face. Uh he came, he came running out of the house and I think a neighbor or something had grabbed him and tried to take him to the hospital. Uh but he had had shards of glass and wood uh embedded in his face and his face was on fire. Oh, geez. Yeah. So I think he was in critical condition. If I remember right at the hospital, I don't know what his current condition is right now, but they didn't release his name. Um, yeah, it was, it was a sad story, but, but he was squatting. He was trying to squat at the house because he was, he was kicked out of his his previous house. He was, he was staying with friends at one point. Gotcha. Yeah. So that was that story there. Um, but yeah, it was just a, a bizarre story. But the explosion was so big we felt it in neighboring towns. Really? Yes. Okay. They felt it in Blaine. They felt it in Andover. Um, that's how big this explosion was in this house. Wow. Yeah. Pretty pretty. Neighbors big. are probably lucky that their houses weren't taken along with the explosion. Well, there were a couple of houses that were. There were a couple of houses where the foundation oh. was rocked and they were ruined. Okay. Yeah. So, uh-huh. yeah, it was interesting. Interesting story. Uh, this next story is pretty interesting on its own, Mally. A, a woman was accused of trying to avoid arrest by hiding on a Disneyland ride. <laughs> this story brought to us by Margot. Thanks, Margot, for sending this in. Uh, we go to Anaheim, California, where a woman is accused of sneaking into Disneyland and attempting to evade police by hiding on an attraction this past week. Now, of all the places you could hide, Mally, is a ride at Disneyland one of the ones that appeals to you?
3: No, especially if it's that small world after all. Oh, yeah. Bride.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, but, just arrest me now. <laughs> and then if you think about it, really, it's like five to seven minutes, and then you're off the ride, and then you got to like wait in line for half an hour. Uh-huh. Unless you have a fast pass. And then you might yeah. get through in about five to ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but even so, police officers are going to find you. You would think, right?
3: Well, yeah, with all the CC camera, you know, yeah, cameras that yeah. they have
0: everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, police officers with the Anaheim Police Department assisted the resort security team in apprehending the woman who was suspected of entering the park without paying. A spokesperson with the Anaheim Police Department told News Nation affiliate KTLA that the unidentified woman entered the park by jumping over the turnstiles at the park's entrance. So she got in free! <laughs> as free as you can get into Disneyland. At about 7 p.m. on June 17th, the woman was arrested on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, an attraction based in Frontierland at Disneyland Park. The woman was arrested for a misdemeanor without incident. Uh, the case will be presented to the Anaheim City attorney's office, which could then decide if the woman will be charged and will issue fines and possible jail time. A now viral TikTok video captured the incident and has amassed more than 480,000 views. I guess you just have to search it on TikTok. I don't have a link for you. Uh, the Disneyland Resort didn't immediately respond to KTLA's request for comment regarding the incident. So there you go on TikTok. Just uh, just search uh I guess, Getaway Big Thunder Mountain Railroad.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you added the last part because the Getaway Big Thunder sounded kind of funny.
0: It does, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Getaway Big Thunder will probably pull up something else on TikTok that you probably shouldn't watch yeah, in front of the kids.
2: That's what
0: I'm thinking. Yeah. Uh, you ever had an issue at work, Mally, where the janitor throws something of yours away or shuts off the refrigerator at night and spoils something of year's? <laughs> that, no. No?
3: But it sounds like they're very angry. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. We had a, one time at, uh, no. at Best Buy, we had a janitor that used to throw out, or, you know, on Fridays they they throw out stuff in the fridge.
2: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. And they used to, you know, we'd, we had to be very diligent to get our stuff out of the fridge on Fridays. Otherwise, boom! Your 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 lunch was gone on Monday, and sometimes yeah, but you
3: don't want something sitting over and getting icky and moldy.
0: Well, if you had a really good sandwich, though, like say on Friday, it would keep till Monday. Yeah, but on Monday, no, nah, it'd be a soggy. Mm, depends. What if it, you know, like a <laughs> Subway sandwich that didn't have like many toppings on it would still be good. Mm. You know, Monday morning. Friday, Friday, Friday afternoon to Monday morning.
3: I oh know you're justifying.
0: <laughs> when you're really struggling, you're working for Best Buy, Matt. I mean, it's not like, you know. That's true. They're not paying you a ton of money over at the Evil Empire. I'm just saying. <laughs> you know. Well, an annoyed janitor turned off a super cold freezer, which probably is a, a, a no-no. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Uh, destroying decades of scientific work and causing at least $1 million in damages. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Which did lead to a lawsuit. Uh, again, sent in by one of our listeners. And uh, I don't have the name in front of me. I apologize. But uh, again, if you have a, a news story for Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals, send it in, tim at darknessradio.com. We appreciate you for doing so. It could be the plot of a dark comedy if it wasn't such a scientific tragedy a janitor working in a laboratory who was annoyed by an incessant beep reportedly flipped a switch that killed the noise. Oh. Which not a good thing. Uh, but also shut off a storage freezer, destroying decades of scientific work. That according to the, I believe it is the Ren- Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute lab in Troy. The cleaners' alleged carelessness cost the lab at least $1 million in damages, Mally. Yikes. Oh. A lawsuit the university filed against its third-party cleaning service charges. People's behavior and negligence caused all this. Michael Ginsberg, the RPI's attorney, was quoted as saying, unfortunately, they wiped out 25 years of research.
2: Oh.
0: Oh, jeez. The super-cold freezer the custodial worker allegedly shut down held cell cultures, samples, and other elements stored at minus 112 degrees Fahrenheit. But when the worker from Daigle Cleaning Services shut shut off the circuit breaker on September 17, 2020 to silence a beeping alarm, the temperature leapt to a minus 25.6 degrees, which damaged or destroyed the material that according to the lawsuit... The freezer alarm had been triggered by a mechanical malfunction that stopped the unit from maintaining a constant temperature as it was supposed to do. Uh, repairs had been scheduled for September 21st of 2020. A sign on the lab freezer door explained the source of the alarm, which also bore instructions on how to silence it. <laughs> so all the all the janitor had to do was read the instructions and silence the alarm. Oh. Yep. No cleaning required in this area, the sign said. You can press the alarm test mute button for five to ten seconds if you would like to mute the sound, read the sign. The cleaner thought they were flipping the breaker on when they actually turned it off, according to a report filed by the RPI public safety staff afterward. A majority of specimens were compromised, destroyed, and rendered unsalvageable, demolishing more than twenty years of research, according to the lawsuit. The newspaper said Derek Foster, president of Albany-based Dagle cleaning services, could not be reached for comment. Ginsburg told the news outlet it would cost an estimated $1 million to replicate the work, which reportedly focused on photosynthesis and might have furthered solar panel development. The cleaning company had a $1.4 million contract to clean the RPI facilities during the 2020 fall semester.
3: Wow. That's a lot of money. Yeah, it is. My friends are research scientists, and I went to visit her once in her lab, and she had, like, frozen air animals and stuff like that in her freezer. Mm -hmm. So I could only imagine like the smell (laughs) if they turned off the freezer. (laughs) Oh,
0: Oh, that'd be horrible. Uh, Oh, yeah. Be terrible. Just a tiny bit. Yeah. Yeah. I would think if you're the cleaning staff, just, you know, put your headphones in and deal with the noise. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's.
3: Leave it alone. Leave it alone. Don't mess with it.
0: Yeah for sure, for sure, <laughs> Mel, have you ever been mistaken for somebody else? I mean, just your identity, like somebody says, "Hey, aren't you Anna somebody or another? Margo Martin yes. Margo Robbie, Mar- Margo yes. Robbie, but they're <laughs> insist kidding. like they're insistent on it, like, like, hey, aren't you so and so and and but like, to the point where they want to arrest you?
3: Uh, no, thank God, yeah,. right? <laughs>
0: Although you do look a lot like Margot Robbie. <laughs> Seriously.
3: No, I've had that quite a few times. Yeah, Not now, but yeah. Yeah. Back in my day.
0: Yeah, back in the day, Ma- Mally was a spitting image of Margot Robbie, <laughs> folks. Seriously. Um, well, a woman was detained getting off a cruise ship in Port Everglades, Florida, for a crime that she didn't commit. Ooh, that sucks. Yeah. And it's it's quite the uh, quite the crime as well. A Texas tourist. We go. To, why am I going through puberty again? Yeah. My God,
3: it's time to
2: change.
0: Oh, here we go. Uh, we go to Port Lauderdale, Florida. Or I'm sorry, Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Mally. <laughs> Good Lord, I'm it's only like
3: f- a, Was it Bobby? Who was the one that went through changes I, on? Uh, Was it Bobby? Or was it?
0: Was it Greg? No, Peter. Was it Peter? Peter.
3: Peter. Yeah, Yeah, the middle kid. Yeah. Because they did that song and then he had to do his little bit.
0: (laughs) Good Lord. My voice is cracking. Fort Lauderdale, Florida is where we're going. A Texas tourist who took a cruise from Port Everglades returned only to be arrested at the port for a felony child endangerment charge. Ooh. Right. She spent three nights in the Broward County Jail, uh, but it turns out law enforcement officials detained the wrong person. Ugh. Yeah. I just don't understand how something like this can happen. Forty eight years. <laughs> You're going to laugh when I tell you what the name is. Okay. Forty eight year old Jennifer Heath box. Hmm. When I think Heath box, I think toffee box. <laughs> I don't know why it's funny to me. It's only <laughs> funny to me. Um, of Houston told Local 10 News, Heathbox, this is how they call it, this is what they call her for the rest of the story. Okay. Heathbox has never been uh, arrested before. The whole time I was like, this is not happening, she said. The strip search, the humiliation, the shackles, the prison uniform being issued blankets. I got to think Heathbox was her uh, her name in prison. <laughs> You got such a sweet box. Heath box. Jeez. I don't know. Uh, She said she missed saying goodbye to her eldest son who deployed on a three-year military mission while she sat behind bars for a crime she never committed. Oh. Yeah. You smell a lawsuit. Yeah. You smell a lawsuit. Heath box. (laughs) Yeah. God. Uh, It was her first cruise. Her first cruise. Her first cruise. Uh, as my voice cracks and they were celebrating the fact that her brother was cancer free. Oh, I know this just gets worse Mel. When the ship docked at port Everglades, Heath box, <laughs> I can't call her anything, but the wrong <laughs> emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> Heath box scanned her identification as she disembarked the ship and it automatically came up with a warning, she said. At that point, security surrounded me with, along with the police, asked me if I was Jennifer Heath, and asked me to remove my jewelry. Yikes. Yeah. Heathbox <laughs> said she was told that there was an active warrant for her arrest out of Houston. I said, What am I being arrested for? Heathbox said. <laughs> Being
3: arre- Sorry, my dogs.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Being arrested for endangering animals, evidently. Heathbox said, that's whenever they said child endangerment. They escorted me off the ship in front of everyone. Heathbox claims there were plenty of signs that authorities detained the wrong person. She says that the person described in the warrant was not her, which should have raised a red flag. She said she pleaded with the arresting officer, Broward Sheriff's Office Deputy Peter Peraza. If the name sounds familiar, Peraza is the deputy who was reinstated after being acquitted of manslaughter after shooting a man who had an air rifle in 2013.
3: Oh, geez.
0: He's known for his mistakes now. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Now, is Heathbox one word, or is it like hyphenated, or is it two words? It's two words.
0: Heathbox.
3: (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. And the person that the warrant was for was just Heath.
0: Yes, just Jennifer Heath. No box. No box. There was no box in that Heath. (laughs) (laughs) the heath went in the box gotcha yeah i guess uh peraza was reinstated as a deputy and now works at the port where he can you know make mistakes with other people (laughs) yeah the warrant clearly states that the child endangerment charge involved a one-year-old and a three-year-old and the jennifer heath on the warrant had a date of birth of April 7th, 1997, meaning the woman would have been 26 years old.
3: Right. Didn't they check her ID? Look at her license.
0: That would be obvious, Mally.
3: Right. Right. I mean, if they're ignoring the description that's given on the warrant, at least look at the license.
0: Right. Our Jennifer Heath box is 49 years old. (sighs) Ugh. Yeah, she's quoted as saying, I'm 49 years old, huge age difference, Heathbox said. My oldest is 30 years old, and the person the warrant was for was born in 97. Physically impossible. Right? She says, I don't have children under the age of five, she added. All they kept saying was, look at the picture. (laughs) I am. I am looking
3: at the picture. That's not me. That's not my kid.
0: (laughs) At intake inside the Broward County Jail, Heathbox claimed a detention deputy raised a red flag. She came out and she handed the driver's license to Peter. And she said, we ran her driver's license and we don't have anything in the system for her, Heathbox said. Peter came back and said, no, it's her. Let me show you. I can prove to you it's her. I will show you the picture. Again, that was all he was focused on. Heath Box was booked. I love saying it that way. Heath Box, uh, Heath Box was booked and placed on a hold for Houston and sat in jail. Oh God, Malley, she was sat Bye. in jail December twenty fourth, twenty fifth, and twenty sixth of last <gasps> year over Christmas.
3: Over, okay, so she's celebrating her brother is free of cancer. Yeah, she missed the son that went that was deployed. Yep, and she was held in prison or in jail over Christmas. Yep. Because of one idiot.
0: Yep.
2: <sighs>
0: I had a police officer come to my cell on the 26th and say, I apologize and tell me, we know you're not the Jennifer Heath. We know you have been incarcerated wrongly. I said, does this mean I get released? I was told no. <laughs> oh, what, my God. Did That one
3: guy had to sign off.
0: I'm not sure. Let's let's see here. It says, in a statement to Local 10 News, BSO said they sympathized with the situation and were alerted to the warrant by Customs and Border Protection. They said they reached out to the authorities in Houston who confirmed the warrant, and on December 26th, BSO said they asked authorities in Harris County, Texas, for fingerprints to confirm they had the right person. Hours later, they were told there were no prints because Heathbox had never been arrested before. A BSO spokesperson says on December 27th, a message was sent saying, release our hold on the above-named subject as soon as possible with no further explanation. Jesus. Houston could have made the mistake by putting the wrong picture. There were so many differences, it didn't have to be taken that far, Heathbox said. So in other words, they put the wrong picture on the warrant. Uh... The sheriff's office said Peraza allowed the appropriate protocols and that his actions were reviewed by the Internal Affairs Division and no employee misconduct was found. The matter is now closed. When I was getting released, I was told we are sorry it happened, Heathbox said. I'm spending my funds trying to clear my name, and so far I've spent $10,000 of my savings trying to clear my name. I'm terrified that this can happen again, Heathbox said. Oh, poor lady.
3: I mean, I know that police are always told by people, I'm innocent, I'm innocent. So they probably just became deaf upon, you know, with her saying, (laughs) I'm innocent, this isn't me. Yeah. But come on, dude, you had flags.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's just ridiculous. It's, that's out of control. It's, but yeah, you're right, Mally. They always hear I'm innocent. I'm innocent. It's not me. Yeah. It's not me. and. Uh, the, in this case, it, it, it wasn't her. And it, it's just a, a tragic tale. That's for sure. Oh, poor lady. Yeah. Mally, it's always, as Prince says, the beautiful ones that, that hurt you every time. <laughs> in this case, we go to Florida. A Florida woman, it turns out that's the case in my life, too. It's always the beautiful ones that want to gut me like a deer. In this case, <laughs> it was literal. A Florida woman said, gut him like a deer. Oh. Yeah. Turns out she's pretty darn cute, too. I, I believe it that she's, she's psycho like this. She sounds angry. Oh, she's very angry. Uh, a Florida woman is accused of threatening to slice up her ex-boyfriend two days before cops say she shot her new lover dead. Ooh. Yeah. She's, she's, uh, she's a little psycho. A Florida woman is being accused of threatening to slice up her ex-boyfriend just days before she allegedly shot dead her new lover. Thirty-three-year-old Brittany Holbrook allegedly shot thirty-year-old Tyler Newlish. That's a hard name to say, Tyler Newlish. In the back, he shot shot him in the. Or she shot him in the back uh, in the early hours of June seventeenth at their Key West home. Holbrook is said to have been having drinks with a woman when she launched into a violent rant about her ex saying, I'm going to kill him and take a knife into his stomach and rip upwards to his throat. Oh, that's descriptive. Yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> Sounds like she's had practice.
0: <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I think maybe she's done it once or twice. Maybe. Uh, That woman, who did not want to be identified, then told Jessica Stiegel, a friend of Newlish, about the comments, saying it was like she was describing gutting a deer. Yikes. It's believed the comments were fueled by alcohol, the woman explaining to Stiegel that the pair had been having fun before Holbrook launched into the violent rant as she continued to drink heavily. (laughs) Alcohol does that to some people. Mm -hmm. They were in love. Everyone saw this. They seemed like the perfect couple, Stiegel told Fox News about Holbrook and Newlish, adding that Holbrook's drinking was her fatal flaw. The pair bonded over a love of fishing, diving, and their Catahoula dogs, Chief and Mossy, according to Stiegel, and appeared to have a promising future. Well, it wasn't that promising, was it? According to LinkedIn, Holbrook worked as a yacht manager while Newlish listed his job as a commercial fisherman on Facebook. Social media posts on Holbrook's Facebook show the pair embracing one another lovingly at Christmas and a few other pictures showing that they were close. That appeared to change on the morning of June 17th when shortly before 3 a.m., the couple's roommate, Jordan Kinn, woke up to Holbrook crying for help. Newlish was lying on his back in a pool of blood when he told Kin, who was frantically trying to stop the bleeding, that that bitch shot me in the back.
3: <laughs> well,
0: that'll happen. Yeah.
3: The ex-boyfriend's probably like better you than me. <laughs>
0: That's right. Well,
3: because <laughs> she was threatening him.
0: <laughs> at least she got it all out. Yep. Yep. Uh, that, according to a police report obtained by uh, the outlet. Uh, Newlish, Kin, and Holbrook are believed to have been drinking on their patio. Ah, again, drinking comes into it. Because
3: uh, <laughs> what else are you going to do that's down right. in Florida?
0: That's right. Drinking, you oh, know, I don't know, sailboating. Uh, they were drinking on their patio in the hours before the alleged attack. Holbrook, distraught from the shooting incident, had initially told detectives that she had a gap in her memory. Uh-huh. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge, say no more. However, her story changed in later interviews. She claimed that Newlish began to attack her out of nowhere in the middle of the night, pushing her up against a wall and strangling her. Mm. Ugh, she that also. is nuts. Yep. She also claimed that he was trying to kill her, but she denied firing a gun. Oh, the bullet <laughs> just magically appeared out of nowhere.
3: Yep. She yep. manifested it.
0: Yep. Monroe County Sheriff's Office said her statements were inconsistent and noted that she had no injuries around her neck. She was arrested on one count of premeditated murder. Stiegel said Newlish's friends and family want Tyler's name cleared and several friends claim they witnessed Holbrook attack him in the past. Uh, she seemed so normal most of the time, but when she drank, here's the key, Mallie, she became a monster in a switch would flip uh, and she'd start screaming and throwing things and hitting Tyler. Stiegel said Stiegel's boyfriend is Newlish's best friend from childhood. She added that he had the most loving, kind soul. He would never hurt her even to defend himself. Stiegel, her boyfriend, and kin cleaned up the crime scene and were convinced the attack had been premeditated. Holbrook always kept a loaded gun in her purse, according to the trio who say her purse was open and sitting on the passenger side seat, but her gun was missing.
3: Oh, my goodness. Yeah. A woman with anger issues and a loaded gun.
0: Lovely. She had to have gone down that flight of stairs, gone back up to the front door, and shot him from the doorway as she was standing with his back to her. That's a lot of time to think, Stiegel said. Yeah. Yeah. She loved him. It was so obvious. She shouldn't have been drinking, and she had no business having that gun, is the quote. A celebration of life for newlish is being held Saturday at 6 p.m. at the Keys Seafood Market on Stock Island. Please leave your gun at home. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was me saying that. Uh, an online obituary described Newlish as a person with a beautiful smile that would fill you with love. If you knew Tyler, you loved him. His beautiful smile would fill you with love, and his easy spirit would brighten your day. It read... He loved life in the Keys and lived it to the fullest. He always said six inches of water on the bully boat and Chief by this side was his perfect day. I think Chief might have been his girlfriend. I'm not sure. Yeah. He loved his annual hunting trips to Tennessee with his best of friends. Tyler is survived by his dog, Chief. Oh, Chief is the dog. Okay. That's good. Uh, parents Lisa Van Dyke and Tim Trivett, his brother Tanner Trivett, and his niece Ava Lynn. Tyler will be missed by all. It continued. Holbrook is being held on how much bond? Do you think, Mally?
3: Well, considering the one was only a hundred dollars, <laughs> that was drinking though. I would say five thousand.
0: Oh, let's go higher.
3: Oh, really? Yeah.
0: Ten. A little higher. Really? Twelve. Yeah. Seven hundred fifty thousand dollars bond oh, for Miss Holbrook. You should have been
3: like way higher, not a little higher. <laughs>
0: yeah,
3: yeah, I just figured since they were low on the last one.
0: Yeah, no. Monroe County Sheriff's Office has her bonding out at seven hundred fifty thousand dollars, and to uh, to back my point, this is what Miss Holbrook looks like.
3: Oh, she's very pretty. Yeah, see. But she's nuts. She's nuts. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. She's cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Yeah. See, I, this is. I uh, was
3: thinking with a different head.
0: This is her out fishing. Yep. Yep. See? She's put together. Mm hmm. But, uh, but yeah. But she carries a loaded gun in her purse, and she's ready to shoot at a moment's notice when she's had a few drinks. So
3: right, which sounds like she drinks a lot.
0: Yes, yeah, or
3: frequently, I should say. Yeah, she she loves her
0: <laughs> liquor. That's for sure. So which which means she's shooting more often than Yosemite Sam. Yeah, so, yeah. That's a, that's a Looney Tunes <laughs> reference for you kids. All right, we move on. A California restaurant group had a fake priest spy on employees. According to the Department of Labor. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This one comes- Out of all
3: occupations, let's choose a fake priest.
0: Yeah, well, there's a good reason for that. We're going okay. to get into this, Mally. It's actually pretty, pretty genius okay. on their part. Uh, thanks to Margo for sending this in. The Department of Labor says an employee testified that the restaurant offered staff a priest to listen to confessions during work hours. This actually happened at Takiera Garibaldi's. In California, uh, which is a taco restaurant, a California restaurant group has been ordered to pay $140,000 in back wages to 35 employees and $5,000 in civil penalties after the Department of Labor says they used a fake priest to spy on employees in order to get confessions of workplace sins, that's oh. quotes, by staff. See what they're doing? Yeah, they're playing on they're playing on the guilt complex. Yeah. The company, Shea Garibaldi Incorporated, which runs Takiera Garibaldi's, two locations in Sacramento and Roseville, agreed to a consent judgment in May, according to Law and Crime. They and owners and operators, Eduardo Hernandez, Hector Manuel, and Martinez Galindo and Alejandro Rodriguez were ordered to pay the damages and penalties, according to the Department of Labor. Under oath, an employee of Taciera Garibaldi explained how the restaurant offered a supposed priest to hear their workplace sins, while other employees reported that a manager falsely claimed that immigration issues would be raised to the department's investigation, that according to Mark Piladin, who is the regional solicitor of labor, He said that in a press release by the Department of Labor. The Department of Labor says an employee testified that the restaurant offered staff a priest, that's in quotes, to listen to confessions during work hours. The priest urged staff to get their sins out, according to a witness. Uh, The priest asked if they had stolen from the company, been late for work, did anything to hurt the company, or if they had bad intentions towards the organization. Interesting. This employer's despicable attempts to retaliate against employees were in, intended to silence workers, obstruct an investigation, and prevent the recovery of unpaid wages, according to Piloted. The Labor Department also said that they discovered that Takira Garibaldi denied employees overtime pay, illegally paid managers from the employee tip pool. Ah, yeah. Threatened employees with retaliation and immigration problems, and fired a person that they thought complained to the department. The U.S. Department of Labor and its solicitor's office will not tolerate workplace retaliation and will act swiftly to clear that immigration status and it has no bearing on workers' rights under the Fair Labor Standards Act, according to Piloton. The Division's Sacramento District Office conducted the investigation. The Department's Regional Solicitor's Office in San Francisco litigated the case.
3: Wow. Interesting, huh? Boss sounds like a real gem to work for.
0: Yeah, exactly. Well, I suppose they had some, some people there who were deeply religious, and they felt like they could get it out of them one way or another. Wow. Yeah. So there you go. There's always something underhanded going on. hmm All right. We're going to get into the not safe for work version of Dumb Crimes, Stupid Criminals. So for that, right now, we're going to give you a couple of seconds to turn down your listening device or put in your earbuds if you're at work or get the children away from your listening device. Uh, because if you have, a, have children listening right now, I don't know why you would to this program, but if you do, <laughs> uh, push them away. Right now, I don't know, push them down the stairs or whatever you do to your children um, to get them away from the listening device. We'll give you five, four, three, two, one. No ifs, ands, or buts about it, Mally. Protesters are dropping their pants to protest climate change at the Massachusetts Statehouse. That's right. People are showing their butts to protest at the Massachusetts Statehouse. They're dropping their pants, Mally. And they're showing off pink thongs.
3: Oh. Well, at least that part's covered then. Yeah. we're in
0: thongs. Yeah. It wasn't total nudity because you can not be arrested. Well, technically, they were arrested for this, though, too.
3: Well, let me just say this super quick. Okay. So, I was scrolling along on TikTok, right? Mm-hmm. And you know how they have those lives, and you can either accept to watch it or not. And I was scrolling, and also, it was a protest. I don't know what it was for because I was only on it for like two seconds. But okay. some lady lifted up her shirt in front of a cop and was like, Bouncing around, she didn't have a bra on, and I was like, "Oop!" And then I like quick scroll because I'm like, "I don't, yeah." Anyway, that,
0: that's happened at a, quite a few protests, actually.
3: Yeah,
0: and it it technically is a crime because in some states you can't bare your bare chest, especially your if you're tatas. a woman. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. I was surprised though. I was like, "Whoa!" Yep,
0: it's right in uh, front of a cop. But it's individual depending on the state. Some states oh, gotcha. women can bare their breasts in public; the other states can't. So
3: oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know what's I didn't stay long enough to figure out what was yep. going on. <laughs> yeah.
0: So there you go. Um, we go to Boston where climate change protesters drop their pants at the Massachusetts State House during a debate on a proposed tax relief package on Thursday to bring attention to what they say is the need for swifter action against the use of fossil fuels. About 1 p.m. in the afternoon, protesters stood, turned their backs to the Senate chamber, and lowered their pants to reveal letters that spelled out, Stop Passing Gas, (laughs) (laughs) on their bare backsides. There you go. The protesters were all wearing pink thongs, just to be modest. Uh, The eight protesters were chanting and disrupting the Senate session. (laughs) (laughs) According to state police investigators, just before 2 p.m., the protesters were told that the public gallery was closed after being as opposed to their bare asses, which were (laughs) wide open uh, after being warned that they were subject to arrest. The protesters refused to leave and were placed under arrest and escorted out of the chamber. They were charged with trespassing on state property, disorderly conduct, and indecent exposure. So there you go, Mally. One protest that doesn't necessarily work.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, a man taking voyeurism to a whole new level. A voyeur rap for a man who used a drone to spy on his intended victim. Ooh. A whole new level. Uh, to a peeping tom a a convicted sex offender is facing a video voyeurism charge after he allegedly flew a drone to peer into the bathroom window of a female neighbor according to rhode island police investigators say 32 year old stephanie marola was preparing to take a shower in her Cranston residence on Wednesday evening when she heard a buzzing sound outside the bathroom window. When Marola went outside to investigate, cops say she spotted a drone hovering near the window. As she approached near the drone, it began to fly away, but struck a tree branch and fell to the ground. (laughs) I think somebody was trying to fly the drone one-handed.
3: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Like you have the whole sky and you got to hit a branch.
0: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Marola then grabbed the drone uh, and dunked it in her pool, disabling the quadcopter's electronics.
3: Good for her. Those things are expensive.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. Good for her. Yeah. So she, and she coincidentally. Got rid of the evidence as well when she did that. Marola, who lives with her three-year-old daughter, called 911 and reported the remote peeping Tom's attempts. A subsequent police investigation resulted in the arrest of 49-year-old Christopher Jones, whose home, where he lives with his 72-year-old mother...
3: Why am I not surprised?
0: He's so proud. ...abuts Marola's property. Uh, While cops did not reveal how the defendant was linked to the drone, they say that Jones admitted that he was the operator. Jones was arraigned Friday night on a felony video voyeurism charge and subsequently released from police custody. Cops say Jones is a convicted sex offender. There's a shock. Oh. Uh, but that his requirement to register with state officials expired in 2015. Something tells me it's been renewed. Uh, here's your offender right here, Mally. Oh. Ew. He kind of looks creepy, doesn't he?
3: Yeah, he does.
0: Yeah. And by the way... I'm
3: surprised that charges weren't worse since she has a three-year-old daughter.
0: I would think it would be, too. That's your drone right there. (laughs) Gotcha. Your drowned drone. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I I would think it would be, too. I I would think that there should be a child endangerment charge there, too. But evidently not. Uh, (sighs) That was not thrown in there. Uh Another story brought to us by another listener. Again, I don't have the name in front of me. I apologize. Uh, oh, this one's from Tom. That's right. This one's from Tom. Uh, squeezing of testicles is not an attempt to murder, according to a Karnataka high court. <laughs> Although it should, it feels like it should be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If you've ever had your testicles squeezed, it definitely feels like murder. Uh, the high court reasoned that the accused had no intention to murdering the victim and the injury was caused during a fight (laughs) this taking place uh it says in the city of bengaluru i think this is overseas somewhere uh squeezing i think yeah it doesn't sound like it's in cincinnati that's (laughs) for sure yeah although bengaluru does sound like the uh does sound like the football team Uh, squeezing another person's testicles during a fight cannot be termed attempt to murder. The high court of Karnataka has said it differed with the trial court, which had convicted a 38 year old man for causing grievous hurt for such an incident. It also reduced the sentence from seven years imprisonment to three years. That is so heinous. You should get seven years for squeezing the boys. That's all I'm saying. Uh, the high court reasoned that the accused had no intention of murdering the victim. <laughs> that is murder. <laughs> if you ever had your boy squeezed. Uh, and the injury was caused during a fight. There was a quarrel between the accused and complainant on the spot. During that quarrel, the accused chose to squeeze the testicles. It ain't. But it sque- probably
3: ended that fight fast, though.
0: Oh, sure it did. <laughs> But it ain't squeezing the Charmin Mally. <laughs> you know what I mean? Grab him
3: by the balls.
0: Mm, mm. No, no, no. That's a last resort. It's not a first move. <laughs> you know, that's a that's an end game. That's not a that's not a first move. <laughs> uh, they said that the accused chose to squeeze the testicles. Therefore, it cannot be said that the accused came with an intention or with preparation to commit murder. If at all he has prepared or attempted to commit murder, he could have brought some deadly weapons with him in order to commit murder, it was said. The high court said that the accused has caused grievous hurt to the victim. Though the injury may have caused the death of the victim, it was not the intention of the accused. I would disagree. (laughs) (laughs) It feels like death. Therefore, they should be charged with death. (laughs) Uh, though he has chosen the testicles, which is the vital part of the body, which may cause death, and the injured was taken to the hospital, also undergone surgery. Oh, my God, he undergone surgery. And the testicles was removed, which is a grievous hurt. Mally. What? He, they removed the testicles. <laughs> that was a grievous hurt. That's practically Murder. <laughs> Look at you, you're indifferent. You're like, Neh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, therefore, this is what the judge says I am of the view it cannot be said that the accused, with an intention or preparation, had attempted to commit murder. Boy, that is so egregious. The injury caused by the accused could be brought under section 324 of IPC by causing grievous injury by squeezing the private part which is the vital part of the body, Justice K. Natarajan said in his recent judgment. Boy, is he wrong. The complainant by the victim, um, Karapa, stated that he and others were dancing in front of the, oh my gosh, I think Tom did this to me on purpose to see if I could pronounce this, (laughs) Narasimhaswamy procession. I'm not doing that again, by the way. Uh, During the village fair, was or when the accused Parameshwarapa came there in a motorcycle and picked up a quarrel. I think this is probably in India. Uh, during the fight that ensued, Parameshwarapa squeezed the testicles of Karappa, causing grievous injury. After the police inquiry and trial, he was convicted and sentenced. Parameshwarapa, a resident of Mukalikate in Kadur in Chikamagalura district approached the HC with an appeal challenging his conviction by the trial court in Chikamagaluru. How do you like them apples, man? (laughs) People say I read at the third grade level uh the trial court has sentenced him to seven years imprisonment under section 307 which is attempt to murder of ipc one month imprisonment under section 341 which is wrongful restraint boy is that ever wrongful and one year imprisonment under section 504 which is insult to provoke the incident dates back to 2010 and the trial court convicted parameshwarapa in 2012, his appeal filed in 2012 was disposed of by the HC or the High Court earlier this month. Are you impressed that I got through all those names?
3: Hey, yes, I am because I wouldn't have been able to do it.
0: <laughs> My Jedi powers are strongly, strongly <laughs> developing, Mally. Just saying. Now watch, I'll get a, I'll get an email from wherever that's from saying you butchered those names. <laughs>
3: That's why we issue an apology in advance. <laughs> That's right.
0: We apologize in advance for that story. Finally, on Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals today in our Not Safe for Work section, we told you that we were going to end on a story that had to do with pink dildos and Target. <laughs> we end up in Florida, Mally.
2: <laughs> I
3: guess where else are we going to be? <laughs>
0: That's right. Whenever you mention pink dildos and Target, it, it has to end in Florida.
3: We go from balls to dildos. <laughs> you
0: said it, I didn't. <laughs> uh, according to cops, a sex toy thief was caught pink-handed. <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> as a vibrator fell from a Florida su- suspect's pants. That's hard for me to say. It was hard for him, too. Uh, police, As police were busting him, a small pink vibrator fell out of the pants of a Florida man as he was suspected of stealing an assortment of sexual aids from a Target store, I didn't know Target sold those things.
3: I don't. I, yeah, I didn't know that either. Okay, so they lock up like facial lotions and perfumes and stuff, but they don't lock up dildos. You know what I mean? Where you need the you need the person to come with their key yeah, and like yeah. unlock it.
0: Yeah. So kids can just be fencing with dildos at Target. Apparently. Yeah. Mommy, I found a lightsaber. I don't know. Responding to a larceny call Monday afternoon, cops confronted 46-year-old David Romero. Oh, you're too old for that shit. As he sat in his Dodge Ram near the... His Dodge Ram. Near the Target in Palm Coast, which is a city about 25 miles north of Daytona Beach. While well, the handcuffed Romero was being placed in the rear of a police cruiser, get it, in the rear of a police cruiser, yeah. uh, a small pink vibrator fell out of his pants. <laughs> this item was later revealed to have been stolen from Target, according to cops. I didn't think they had those at Target.
3: I didn't either, but you know what? Florida is a whole different state, so.
0: They're a totally different animal. Yeah, A subsequent search of Romero's truck turned up an assortment of other stolen goods, including Trojan and SKYN condoms, Hello Cake lubricant, and Promiscent. Or Promiscent. It's a Climax control spray. Oh. Yeah. Hey. (laughs) The guy's into control. (laughs) (laughs) A Target loss prevention officer told cops that Romero hid the items in a piece of shapewear that he did <laughs> not scan at the self-checkout line. Shapewear. Uh-huh. Hmm. Well, takes all kinds, of gas. When asked about the target merchandise found in his truck, Romero claimed that the items had been in his vehicle for days. Police added that Romero further stated that he was going to use those items today on his wife uh, because he was working all day yesterday and he could not celebrate Father's Day with her. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's an odd way to celebrate Father's Day.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, for some guys, that's the only time of the year they get lucky. (laughs) (laughs) That and their birthday. (laughs)
0: I almost feel sorry for Mr. Fox
3: (sighs) I'll tell him not to listen to this episode yeah
0: please do Uh, just tell him just tell him it was boring we didn't
3: talk about anything Tim
0: just droned on and on about pretzels yeah yeah Pretzels and soda. Mm -hmm. Uh, Romero, who lives eight miles from the Target store, was charged with a misdemeanor for allegedly swiping goods worth. How much do you think all that came to, Mel? We'll we'll play the prices right here.
3: (laughs) Uh, Let's see. We've got some gel, some lube stuff, (laughs) girdle, Mm -hmm. and the penis. I'm going to go for $275.
0: Oh, and the condoms.
3: Oh. I don't know how much condom, Uh, Okay, well, we'll round up to
0: three. $187.23. Oh, I would have lost. Yeah,
3: I should have just bid a dollar.
0: <laughs> I would have been closer. <laughs> I can give you one of these.
2: <laughs>
3: there you go. So,
0: that's, yeah. <laughs> uh, Romero is being held in the Flagler County Jail in lieu of $3,000 bond for all that. Dang! Yeah, they're serious about their condoms, lube, and pink dildos i guess in addition to the target matter romero is facing two other pending theft cases one of which involves five separate shoplifting incidents at a walmart in palm coast where i i guess there were other things that he couldn't get a target lee <laughs> yeah maybe that's where he got his cologne <laughs> don't know here's your uh here's your lover boy right here melanie Oh, <laughs> I love the reaction. Ew. Yeah. Evidently, he needs those aids. Is that what you're saying?
3: Apparently. Yeah.
0: Evidently, he's uh, he's not enough on his own to get the wife excited. Yeah. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Just saying. So that'll do it for Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals for today. Mally, what you got going on?
3: Uh, you know what? Nothing much. Just looking forward to the 4th of July.
0: That's right. 4th of July yeah. coming up. Big holiday weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, Big plans for the holiday weekend.
3: Yeah. We have a parade in town mm-hmm. and then uh, head, into, head into the uh, campground. Mm. Yeah.
0: There you go. Want to remind people to check out paranormalgirl.com? Thank you. Yes. Uh, check it out. Mally's got some great merchandise here at ParanormalGirl.com. You also have great recipes here at ParanormalGirl.com. Yes,
3: yes I enjoy that. I have to get back in the, in the swing of things with the recipes. Most so, stuff, Especially with holidays coming up.
0: Yes. Yes, indeed. Um, but great drink recipes, great, uh, great other recipes at ParanormalGirl.com. Uh, there's a blog at ParanormalGirl.com, correct? Yes. Yes. Check that out as well. Uh, Tomorrow on the show, Supernatural News. And then on Thursday, author Jason Offit is back with us on the program. Of course, Jason Offit, one of the first people to ever discover the Black Eyed Kids. Uh, He'll be with us on Thursday. We'll be talking all things paranormal. Jason recently has shared my, um, should we say, disdain for AI? (laughs) Oh. So we'll be talking a little bit about AI. We'll be talking about some of his recent books as well. So we'll get into All Things Paranormal with Jason Offit. So there you go. That's the week ahead for uh, Darkness Radio. Fun. Yeah, yeah. So that'll do it for today. Mali, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, as always. Well, my pleasure, indeed. Uh, thank you so much for, for filling in for Bruiser. And again, folks, we want you to... Uh, Put that positive energy out there for Bruiser. He's got his hip surgery coming up on the 29th. Uh, for those of you who hadn't seen the match, the last match of Bruiser, go to Title Match Network. Look it up. Um, by uh, If you go to the events section of uh, darknessradioshow.com, there's a link there that I'll keep up for a while. Uh, click on that link. You can subscribe to Title Match Network. It's $9.99. Uh, you can subscribe and get the replay. Of uh Bruiser's last match. It's AML Confrontation is the name of the event. And uh you'll be impressed. And yes, you'll believe a Beer City Bruiser can fly. He actually flew in his last match. Um, but yeah, subscribe to it and support AML and uh check out Bruiser's last match at least for a while until he has his hip surgery. And we'll see uh, where he goes from there, if he does wrestle again. But uh, he reunited with Brian Malonis with the, uh, and, and reformed the, the bouncers for the last time in a four-way tag team match. And uh, the entire card was impressive, folks. If you're a wrestling fan, uh, you got to see such wrestlers as Brian Pillman Jr., uh, Angelina Love, Colby Carino, and much, much more. It was a great card. It was a very good card. Uh, that AML put on on Sunday. So uh, check it out and check out Bruiser's last match for a while uh, by going to Title Match, uh, the Title Match Network. Uh, you can do that by going to darknessradioshow.com, click on the events page, click on that link to the Title Match Network, and AML confrontation. And uh, check out Bruiser's match and support him, please. And if you want to support Bruiser and help out with uh, costs for surgery, go to his uh, go to his Twitter and click on um, click on his T-shirt shop. And uh, you know what? I'll put up a, a link to his T-shirt shop in our shop. If you go to DarknessRadioShop um, DarknessRadioShow.com and go to our shop, I'll put up a link to his his pro wrestling t shop and support him by buying a T-shirt. Uh, so you can help him get through uh, surgery with uh, with costs there. So there you go. For Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for joining us for True Crime Tuesday. And again, we have a link in the description of this program to get the book, The Doodler Murders, and support Alan Warren. Thank you so much to Alan Warren for joining us again today. We'll see you tomorrow for Supernatural News on Darkness Radio. For Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for joining us for the best In True Crime Podcasting, this has been True Crime Tuesday.